Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Well, uh, we are really delighted to have this guest, mostly because we haven't had too many um, Europeans lately to give us an idea of, you know, we've, we've been American-centric, but we're, we're happy to have with us the king of the abs, um, the man who, who flicked off the future king of England uh, a week ago in Andy Murray. Uh, Liam Brody joins us, and, and Liam, let's, let's start with that. Uh, it made the rounds on social media a, a week ago during the Battle of the Brits. You, on the British Broadcasting Corporation, yeah. flicked <laughs> off with the middle finger, Sir Andy Murray. And uh, yeah. why, why would you do that? Um, first and foremost, I'd say because he deserved it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, it's, it's been crazy over here. So we obviously had... Um, Battle of the Brits, the individual event, um, which was just run fantastically well. I played absolutely awful, and I was getting hazed, hazed like you cannot believe from the best players this country's pretty much ever seen, um, which was just a horrible experience. Um, and I just had nothing to back it up with because I played so bad. Uh, and then, you know was then just getting it constantly for like, you know, we now have a group chat with all of these these British players in and just getting abused constantly for like three weeks. Um, and then built up to this team event that, you know, Jamie Jamie Murray and his team put together as well. And it was just amazing, man. It, it's probably the closest I'll ever get to a college atmosphere. Mm. Um, the difference was, instead of frat boys shouting, when you double faulted it, Andy Murray telling you how terrible you are, and, and, and running on court with a dustpan and broom to clean up your rubbish, as you say. Um, and then you know, you guys know what Evo's like as well. You know, Dan Evans going crazy inside, um, and just again for the whole week, I was just getting horrific abuse. And, I mean, I did kind of deserve it because I was giving it out even worse than I was getting it. Um, 
And then on the last day, I managed to get the win while getting abused for two hours straight <laughs> from Dan and Andy. And uh, I kind of forgot. I, no, I, I'm not going to say that I forgot. I, just <laughs> I, bit, I knew I was on TV. But I wanted everyone to know what I thought of Andy that day. So. <laughs> it's, the, the banter, um, I've, I've gotten used to it in, let's see, uh, when Marcus Willis during, you know, that infamous time, uh, it was him yeah. and Joshua Milton and some of the other guys. Yeah. And then, Car- yeah, exactly. And then in you, as you well know, in Aptos over the years, whether it's you, Evo, um, Cam a few years ago, all of those guys, just the constant banter. What is it about yeah. the Brits that leads itself or lends itself to the, the constant yeah. banter during the sport? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think obviously as a whole, British people probably have quite a dry sense of humor and, and, and have quite a cutting sense, you know, quite a cutting sense of humor where you kind of revel in insulting other people and making them feel bad. <laughs> um, like, for instance, like my sister, you know, if I stub my toe, she'll find it hilarious, you know, and I'll be in agony and she'll be in tears of laughter. Um but, I, you know, I, it's funny because I think the American sense of humor is so different, but the Aussie sense of humor is probably pretty similar to the British. Um, but it was really strange because it ended up making, actually, for pretty amazing viewing. Yeah. Because the microphones were quite close to the court, so you can hear a lot of the comments. And obviously everyone knew that it was in good humor. Um, but obviously when when you're missing balls and you're getting that, it's still, you know, when you're on court, you're still getting angry. <laughs> So you're having to like pretend that you're not angry because the second you throw a racket, they know they've got you and they go 10 times worse. <laughs> you know, Mike and I during this time have talked about kind of experimenting, you know, this is the perfect time to just to try out different things on the court. I mean, does tennis need more of this? I, do you know what? It's funny because I, after this event, I think number one, there needs to be more mixed events. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I'm very pro um, women's rights within the sporting world, as you guys both know. Um, I probably would have said in the past, kind of keep them, keep the men's and women's tours separate, but equal. Um, whereas after this week, it was so much fun. Mm. And, you know, getting so involved in the girls' matches and, and especially in team events, because it kind of comes like a, you know, like a soccer game, like a football game where, and the girls were brilliant. They stepped up to it. And especially in the mixed doubles, you know, Andy's like, <laughs> like giving chats to some of the girls and they're just standing up to it <laughs> and playing amazing tennis. Um, and it just it just worked brilliantly. And, and I've not played an event before that had that kind of spirit. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that would be a massive, massive... I mean, it, it was kind of worse than David's Cup in a sense that it's so personal that the abuse you're getting, you know, it's not just loud noise. It's, it's like very personal abuse. Um, but, but you get so into the matches, like a few of us are there for eight hours a day watching five matches in a row. Right. Um, just because it's so much fun to spectate and actually feel like you're having an influence in the match. And I think if tennis players were kind of told, look, you're going to get heckled like you can't believe out there and you've just got to accept it. And it was the same for both. I think it would bring something new to the sport. So how do you incorporate that into a regular event, a regular capability, so people are still able to accumulate points within the ATP, yeah, WTA, yeah, yeah. and still yeah. do that? I don't know. 
maybe it's kind of becomes like in in again like in football how you have home and away games. Mm. You know, so if you're playing a challenger in America, you kind of have to accept you're going to get the abuse more than an American <laughs> guy. You know, but but on the same hand, when they come over to England or to France, you know, then you have a bigger home advantage. Because I've always kind of felt that in tennis, there's never really that much of a home advantage except the Davis Cup, really. Um, which I've always felt like could be a little bit different to make it a bit more interesting. Um, and I know that the game of tennis is seen as a very proper sport, but I mean, the guys were all taking it fantastically. You know, the, guy, the guys and the girls were taking it so well, um, so graceful in, in defeat and in victory. Um, and, it, you know, once the matches were done, it was all smiles and handshakes and obviously social distance handshaking. But, <laughs> um, no, it, it was fantastic. And like I said, like you, you're so much more invested in the matches. You talk about you know, your English. You have one of the most, quote-unquote, proper tournaments in the entire world at Wimbledon. Um, one, do you ever see them kind of changing their protocols and how they run that event? And also... How do we get the fans involved? Is it the heckling? Is it something new? How do we get the fans involved more than ever? Well, I mean, the, one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen on centre court at Wimbledon was Andy playing in the 2012 Olympics. Mm. Um, and that was because it wasn't your regular tennis crowd. Because, right. you know, obviously the tickets are allocated randomly to the Olympics. So you might get the velodrome or you might get the tennis. So it was random fans that were just probably kind of had less of an idea about the etiquette of a tennis match and were just going crazy. Um, but it was it was electrifying the atmosphere. And, yeah. I, and I think we need to get more people into the sport like that. And we need people to kind of start realising the more noise you make, the better. You don't have to be prim and proper. And I mean, that's kind of a part of the charm of Wimbledon, right? That That's what Wimbledon is. It is that sort of um, civilised plan. But... but for the players as well, you know, Noah, you, you know this, like, it, the, the better, the more noise on the court, the better the atmosphere. And I, and I think that would bring people into tennis more, feeling like they could get more involved. Um, but that was just my experience anyway. Yeah, there's nothing like Liam Brody doing, like, a banana passing shot with the lefty forehand, and there's just, like, three, three fucking people clapping in the audience. You're like, what am I doing out here? You're like, what? <laughs> what one's my coach and one's my patient. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason uh, right after you hit it you always stare at me like i'm supposed to yeah. interact with you and I, <laughs> i'm trying yeah, to do my yeah, damn yeah, job yeah. here just, just making sure you're still awake <laughs> <laughs> um so obviously you mentioned the the social distancing aspect um and and we're all kind of dealing with that right now and, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to somebody over in Europe right now. It is it's obviously yeah. quite dire here in the States in terms of um you know, for example, Noah's ability he can't play challengers right now because there aren't any in the States. There are some in Europe yeah. right now. You mentioned yeah. that that Great Britain, the United Kingdom, has one of the worst situations when it comes to COVID, especially in Europe. Yeah. Uh, how, yeah. how are the travel restrictions impacting you? How are you able to play at all right now? Yeah, um, I mean, to be honest, I, I have no idea what it's going to be like coming back to the UK. Mm. Um, but I'm 90% sure right now that if I fly to another country in Europe, I'll be okay. Um I think so. I'm going to play the challenges in Italy, uh, and starting in Trieste, I think, um, 
And if you're in main draw, you have to be there on the Saturday to go through a mandatory COVID test. Um, and obviously, if not, you don't get to play the tournament. Um, they've obviously changed the main draw to 32 instead of 48, so there's less players on site. Um, and they've brought the qualifying back to 16. If you want to play qualifying, you have to be there on the Thursday to be ready to play on a Saturday. It's mm. all pretty complicated now. Um, but I think my idea is probably just to stay in Italy for like a month to mm. play a tour of the tournament to make it as um, as simple as possible. And the thing, the problem is with the UK is, is the government's pretty. I, I don't, I don't know if they really know what they're doing. Uh, we understand that here. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like pretty, pretty random the way that some countries now that you come back from you have to self-isolate for two weeks even though we've got worse rates over here than the countries that you have to self-isolate from um i don't think at the moment you have to self-isolate coming back from italy but it's, it's changing all the time um and then from it so i might even have to go straight from italy to france and then maybe isolate coming back from france i mean if that's changed but you know greater manchester now has gone back into lockdown Mm. Um, so they're actually doing it which is kind of strange in the UK as you guys know because it's so small so they're kind of doing it city by city now um, so I mean it's just absolute chaos um, which is kind of I don't know it feels kind of strange going back to playing proper ATP you know challenger events and with all of this still ongoing it kind of doesn't feel right in a sense mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. Some guys are saying if we don't start as soon as you know, as soon as we can, then when do we start again? And I, I don't know what the response to that is. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I hate when kind of people bring it up, but I am going to because it matters in this circumstance. We're, you know, you and I are basically similar ranking points right now. Um, when I'm looking at these challengers, I'm like, it's got to be some of the toughest challengers in the world at this point, especially when they cut the draws in half. Especially when you see the oh, well, Rinka's playing challengers now, or whatever the case may be. So it's like, how do you mentally manage to get yourself prepared and ready, and to go through all these hoops to fucking play a challenger, and then possibly not get in? You know, how do you put yourself in that in that position? Well, I mean, that that that's what kind of. So it was only really last week that I, so I kind of entered the, entered the event a few weeks ago. I messed up on the first event entry because I didn't know you had to enter qualies now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to enter qualies separate to main draw. Um, so I'm, I decided not to play that first week because I was like 12 out of main and didn't enter qualies. Um, and now, yeah, you know, you're kind of looking at the logistics and you have to um, obviously give, I think you get, is it one, one member of staff on site per player? Yeah. Um, so then I have to give all of my, my coaches details. Obviously, I have to arrange for him to be on site on time for the COVID test, and I have to be on site for the COVID test. And um, I, I have no idea what's going to go on with the hotel. Is there going to be a social bubble? Um, you know, this is all sort of stuff that you've got to look into now. And, and obviously, we're still waiting for French Open as to whether we should book our own accommodation or if there's going to be a bubble for the qualifying players and the main draw players. And I mean, there, there are just so many. Um, variables right now that no, I don't think many people really have answers to, um, which is again quite even for us tennis players who are kind of used <laughs> to that. It, it's even more so. It, it's really strange. Yeah, you know, I think Mike and I have fully agreed on this even before the pandemic, and now that the pandemic has highlighted it to the max, is that tennis is just way too international of a sport. You know, you talked about really enjoying Battle of the Brits. You know, we had some tournaments 
in the U.S., but do you think we should have far more tournaments that are just based geographically on your region to limit the travel, have different divisions, let's say, just to make it kind of like, you know, European football and stuff like that? You know, do you think that should be the case? It's funny because, so, you know, this is probably the longest I've been home in the U.K., since I was maybe 13 years old, right. um, which I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, and I just kind of thought it'd be nice if, if you could have the option to do this and, and earn a living from playing these events. You know, it's still good tennis, um, but actually you're probably earning better money playing these events than playing where Without there's expenses. no expenses. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah. no expenses. I mean, you guys know it. Sometimes a couple of thousand maybe 3000 even if you're bringing a coach a week in expenses. Right. So there's no, there's no way that we can earn a living, whereas actually, I mean, obviously I kind of missed out over the grass court season, uh, but you can actually kind of see like, geez, like I could actually make a living if, if the sport was like this. And, and like you say, I think there's a big opportunity to play more domestic events. Um, and hopefully people will start to realize that. Um, and, and invest in it because it is an opportunity. Um, one thing we've been talking about a lot is, is the uh, idea of opportunity. Um, I, I, I think the thing that makes me love the sport so much, especially at the challenger level, Liam, is the fact that you know e- either of you two guys or your sister, and it, you can have that run, right? That opportunity to get to the main draw of, of a slam. You right now, because of the fact you're going to be playing some challengers in Italy, you have yeah. that opportunity right now. You could theoretically make the main draw of the Australian Open. You have yeah. that opportunity. Noah's in a situation right now where he, frankly, doesn't. How do we reconcile yeah. that right now? Um, you know what? I have, I have no idea. Because I, I don't know the issues that the ATP are having behind closed doors. I don't really go on any of the meetings um, because a lot of them you kind of leave with more questions than you have answers. Let's not get uh, uh, Noah started on, on Zoom meetings because that's, that's caused yeah. some real issues in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny because, I mean, I kind of have sympathy for everyone, you know, like the Federation, the AT, you know, all of these organizations because this will, this is, unprecedented like we're sure. living in times that nobody's prepared for and i and, and i guess everybody's trying to do their best um I, what was the question i've forgotten now? how do we make sure that opportunity is equal for everyone in in this yeah. period of time when some and, players well, can't travel so what i was kind of i, I kind of just assumed that we'd kind of call, call it quits for the year and then mm-hmm. say look guys we start we start again in australia um and, and that way as well, it makes the ranking problem pretty simple as well. We just kind of go again. Yeah. Um, and, and we just have a clean slate at the start of the year. Um, but obviously with the way this is going on now, is I don't know, it seems pretty flawed to me. Like you say, like there's more opportunity for the European guys. I, I don't know what the stats are. I think maybe there are more professional tennis players in Europe. But at the same time, if you know the US is a powerhouse for tennis as well, and if the US players can't compete, that's completely unfair. Um, Australia too you, you think about Australia and the fact that yeah. they're so isolated yeah exactly exactly so, so I mean I, I don't know if like you say not necessarily it's hard to put domestic events on but if you have kind of like uh, North American events or an Asiatic event 
But, you know, again, like tennis is done in Asia for the rest of the year now. It's, I, I mean, I suppose the ATP needs to make money, don't they? That's the problem. Um, so they they probably are in a position where they can't call it quits till the end of the year. Or, I mean, or if they can, maybe it's not as profitable for them. So I, I, I have no idea what the answer is. To me, it seems simplest just to say, guys, let's can it till the end of the year and just... But then the other problem with that is US and French are just going to go ahead no matter what. Yeah. Because again, these guys are organizations that need the cash flow from the tournament and they don't give an F about the tour. They need the cash. So then the slams are going ahead and then if the tour packs in for the rest, it's, I mean, there are so many issues and I'm just glad that I'm, I'm not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> you're so lighthearted about it though. It's incredible. I mean, you know, you're just like, you know, you're at, you know, you're at 200 of the world, you know, this is basically, you're the prime ranking that it affects you. And you're like, ah, thank God it's not fucking me. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, this is, this is, yeah, this has been happening to me for a few years now. I mean, when the transition tour came into effect, yeah. I kind of fell through the cracks. And then they got rid of the transition tour, and it kind of like was a negative for me again. So this yeah. is, I'm just taking it. I'm just flowing with the blows now, guys. So this, is just, this is life. We embrace it. Uh, but the, the, the other thing I'd say is that what would you guys define a professional tennis player as? Because the last month or so, I've made good cash financially. Mm. Um, but obviously, it hasn't contributed to my professional ranking at all that's a great question so then, so, so then oh. what is your definition of a professional tennis player is it someone that can earn a living from the sport which is what we have probably traditionally said is a professional which is starts at the top hundred and um, so does that now make mm. me more of a professional player than i was before or does me going and spending 10 grand to play four challenges in italy <laughs> Make me a professional tennis player. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is anymore. I don't think we can call you a professional tennis player when you're on the BBC flicking off Andy Murray. I mean, at that point, you the professionalism yeah, the, is just gone. It's all relative. Yeah. All relative. yeah my professionalism reached, reached new lows there. But if you guys could have seen his face, you would have understood. Oh, That's my worth, God. worth every. Yeah, it was worth, it was, and you know what? I called my uh, grandma after the match. <laughs> And, uh, and, she's and you're like, I very... did it. I did it, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, very, I did it. She's a very proper lady. Uh, and, and I said, oh, did you watch the match? She said, yes, I did. She said, you did very well. I said, oh, okay. She said, I also saw you uh, stick your middle finger up. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm so sorry. And she said, no. She said, no. She said, I loved it. I said, it, she said it was great. I was like, yeah. If my, grand, if, if my grandma thinks it's great, then that's it. That's the only seal of, of approval I need. <laughs> Grandma, I, I made you so proud. You would have been yeah, so yeah. proud. <laughs> uh, let me let uh, me ask you a little bit about Andy Murray, though, because I, I yeah. when you your run in was it Charlottesville? Yeah. Uh, what was it, sixteen? Some somewhere around there, fifteen, sixteen, something like that. And I the end of twenty fourteen. Fourteen. Okay, I remember you yeah. telling me that at at that time that. Andy was watching some of those matches. Um, and yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. that's been true of him for a long period of time, that he cares so much 
um, about challenger tennis, British yeah. players in particular, yeah. and, and just yeah, that yeah, yeah. progression forward. Um, how, yeah. how has that also then influenced you in, in terms of yeah. how you look at younger British players specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll swallow my ego a little bit here and talk <laughs> about it seriously for a second. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I've been so, so amazed with the way he carried himself. Um, obviously we see, see him speaking out in the press a lot for people that need to be helped. He, he's kind of, you know, the champion of the people in a sense that that's the way that I feel about it. Um, but I mean, this last month or two, I mean, he's risked a lot to play, you know, this Battle of the Brits individual event and then the team event. Obviously, as we know, he's recovering from his hip injury. Um, and, you know, he, he risked his, his body to, to help these events, knowing that it would help the other British players. Um, and, and Jamie, basically, Jamie Murray, again, you know, obviously this is all Jamie's idea as well. And, and you know, with, without the Murray brothers, tennis would be in a whole different... British tennis especially would be in a whole different sort of uh, position. Um, and Jamie made this uh, WhatsApp group and kind of sent everyone a message and said, guys, look, I'm, I'm thinking about putting this tournament together. Who's interested in playing? And within half an hour, everybody had replied saying, yeah, let's do it. And, and some of the first guys were Andy and Ebo. Mm. Uh, which for me, I mean, I think what I've seen is Andy's trying to kind of create a new culture within British tennis. Um, you know, and he said it in his speech. He did a little speech at the end of the team event saying that British players are kind of often seen as being soft. Um, and he said that, you know, this week it kind of proved, would prove a lot of people wrong. Um, and, and he doesn't have to do any of this, you know. He, he's, he could take his millions and go and live in his palace and, you know, do whatever he wants. But... <laughs> He's, he's, he's a genuinely good person who is trying to help the state of British tennis, the British game. He cares about the players. He cares about people. Um, and I think, you know, that extends towards the ATP and towards players of all communities as well. He, he cares about the game. And, and he's an incredibly intelligent guy who, who wants to give back. Um, and I think that's so rare in people because there are people that I have witnessed who, who again, you know, it's their right to who who kind of have earned their position and, and kind of thought well you know I'm just going to look after me which which again you know that's completely within people's rights but he's kind of using his platform and his position to actively help people and sometimes at his own detriment like I said you know this Battle of the Brits team event was probably not ideal preparation for his US Open but he was still out there from dusk till dawn watching, or dawn till dusk, watching every single player play, you know, mm -hmm. the, the women's singles, the women's doubles, the men's doubles, the men's singles, the mixed doubles at the end of the day. And and it's fantastic for players. I mean, obviously I'm not a young player anymore. I'm 26 years old. You know, I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, but, it's, but it's fantastic for players, not only the men, but the women as well to see, you know, it's okay to be like this. It's okay to enjoy yourself and get involved and, and create a team atmosphere within mm. an individual sport. And actually, we all benefit from it. Because I think tennis has often been a victim in the past of people looking after numero uno. Um, and I think sometimes that's the problem within the ATP. Um, and when decisions aren't getting made, people maybe sometimes look out for themselves instead of the greater good. Um, and I just feel like there could be more 
I mean, we, we, we would be better off as a sport if there were more Andy Murrays. Um, and it's just a shame there aren't as many. <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough to compare the UK to the US just in terms of size. But I, I think, you know, I've always been jealous and, you know, taking away a few discrepancies and seeing, you know, Edmund hit Evo's racket or the few issues that you've had. But I think I've been jealous of the camaraderie between you guys. And, and I know the US has always been, you know, it's just a tremendous, but we've, you know, finding that team atmosphere and that feel, I don't know what you've seen or felt from the outside looking at Americans, but we're all friendly with each other. We're all, we all like each other, but it's just not that same like team atmosphere that you guys have. And you guys, I mean, from like, you know, Josh Ward Hibbert back in the day, like even the juniors and like those guys, like it was just a different, different feel. And even though you, some of those had problems, it was, you know, I was always jealous. And, and I think that's actually helped you guys make a mark in this sport is because you, you know, you're helping each other kind of through it when, you know, in actuality, it's, it's a really small uh, country. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think Corona maybe was, was hopefully in a sense, an eye opener for a lot of guys. Um, I think maybe just to have a bit of a reality check and say, hang on a second, there are things that are more important than hitting a tennis ball over a net, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, I, I've been amazed. It's been incredible. There's not been one person that hasn't played their part over this past month or two within the British game. Um, and that includes, you know, the, the team at the, L, at the NTC. Um, Jamie's team that he's assembled I mean Jamie has just been an absolute Goliath the work he's done to put these events on um, and the, I mean everybody's just kind of come together and, and maybe more so than they would have done before Corona but you know long may it continue um, and yeah I mean even players like you know players who may be more introverted and that you wouldn't expect to kind of help out again in that group chat everybody had replied within half an hour saying let's do it you know everybody's hungry to play and everybody kind of wants to be a part of something and, and it's just been great and and you know I, I wish that there were more nations that had that because again I think it would be great for the game and and especially how you're saying Noah to have more domestic tours you probably need leaders like that as well well as we wrap up here um Liam I I, I will say I'm I'm disappointed. I I look forward to our chats through the summer. Uh, you popping into Lexington as you're about to go get drunk at one of the campus bars uh, after busting out of the Lexington Challenger or or you know the Aptos uh, the Challenger. We have that balcony where you just sit and heckle me um, for hours at a time. Uh, but I I think the followers of um, your social media, Liam, will want to know. At what point here are you going to be giving up the sport of tennis um, so that you be can become an abs model? Um, I think you've yeah. obviously worked so hard on the abs during this this <laughs> COVID time. You know, I, I think. Listen, I'm I'm one of them. Yeah. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Know, you. Thank so, you. I mean, I, you know what? I'm actually flattered, Mike, because I know how much you love Yoris Delore. I, I do. I have the <laughs> ultimate man crush on Yoris Delore. He, oh my he god, is, we just spoke about this. He is a he is a specimen. Um and I think you're you're eclipsing that at this point and I'm I'm really proud of you. No, I mean this I, podcast I can't, I, I can't has... handle that pressure. Don't give me that pressure, Mike. Because I might take a few bad results and I'm in KFC, I've got a bottle of wine, the abs will go. It's don't give me that, okay? I, I don't <laughs> want that title. 
this podcast is not finished without a little dose of sexual harassment. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost a must on this podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Liam, um, my best to you and your family. Um, it, all, all kidding aside, it's, I, I've always looked forward to those chats, um, and I miss having that opportunity to see you and, and, and chat with you in person. And, um, you know, I, I hope things go well and you and your family stay safe. And um, good luck playing those challengers in Italy over the next few weeks. Thank you, brother. I wish you guys were there. I miss you guys. <laughs> I know. I know. You got to let us know what happens, though. No, we're yeah, excited to yeah. see. Cheers, guys. See ya. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.